So anyway, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a look at this um, chapter in Acts, chapter 10. And um, it's really, as I say, it's about kind of, I think, quite a revolutionary, quite a rebellious thing that uh, God is asking Peter to do. And we'll kind of look at why. Um, and then we'll talk about a little bit what that might mean for us. But uh, Acts up to 10, verse 9, starts like this. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their, on their journey and approaching the city, we'll find out who they are in a moment, Peter, who you know, this is the guy who is uh, one of Jesus' original mates and followers and disciples, uh, and is now very much part in leading this new church that has started it says that he went up on the roof to pray. And it says he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Whilst Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon who was known as Peter, was staying there. Whilst Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man and is respected by the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was explaining to them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Um, and then what happens is Peter then starts to preach to all these people who are kind of meeting in this guy called Cornelius' house. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, and Peter ends up saying, well, if the Holy Spirit's here and they're receiving the Holy Spirit and they're listening to this message and they're believing this message, then who am I to stop them from getting baptised? And so they all kind of get baptised as well. So this is, this is the story that I want us to look at. And um, for us to really kind of get this story and to sort of really understand what it might mean for us, uh, there are probably some things that are worth knowing, really, uh, to kind of understand why this was such a rebellious thing, why this was such a big deal, uh, what happened. So the first thing that I want us to notice in the story is this, that Peter has put himself in a place where he can hear God. He is trying to listen to God. And uh, for him, that means he's on a roof 
praying. Now, in those days, obviously, um, the, the houses were flat roofs with kind of like, you know, chairs and stuff on. It wasn't like he was hanging off a satellite dish praying, you know. But here he is. He's in this space. He's, he's found a place that's quiet, a place that he can go to. And he's praying and he's trying to listen to God. Um, and whilst that happens, whilst he's trying to listen to God, whilst he's trying to find out if God's got anything to say to him, whilst he's praying and talking to God as well, then he gets this, this weird vision. This kind of falls into this trance, it says, and he sees this vision. And in the vision, what happens is a big sheet comes out of the sky. He can sort of see this in his mind's eye, okay? Um, so it's not actually happening in real life. If someone walked up the stairs onto the roof and they saw Peter, he'd probably just be lying there looking like he's meditating or something. But what he can see is this sheep coming down and on it are all these types of animals, these reptiles, these birds, these pigs and different types of animals that, as Sam said earlier, were not the animals that Jews would eat. Now, to understand that, we need to kind of understand a little bit about um, the culture and the background that Peter was part of. So, because he was a Jew, because he grew up as a Jew, he had always been told that certain things were okay and certain things weren't okay. It was part of his upbringing, it was part of his culture. So, for example, there would be, like there is on the floor here, there was a kind of line in Peter's mind. Okay, and the things on one side of the line were the things that he would have nothing to do with. And the things on this side of the line were the things that he thought were fine, that God was happy with. And it was all to do with what they believed God had given them as a kind of contract, really. What they believed is that God had said to them, I'm going to look after you, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to be for you. Um, but so that I can be your God, so that you can get that a sort of like protection and love and all that kind of stuff. These are the terms and conditions. These are the T's and C's. And so there were all sorts of T's and C's that the Jews kind of knew really well. And some of them were to do with what you're allowed to eat or not eat, like um, Sam was talking about. But also there were other things as well. So, for example, not being a Jew would have been an issue. You weren't really meant to spend time with non-Jews. You definitely didn't visit a non-Jewish person's house, for example. You wouldn't eat with a non-Jewish person because that was one of the T's and C's. Non-Jews are on this side of the line, alongside pig's blood and, you know, different types of birds and animals. They're all on this side of the line. You don't have anything to do with these things on this side if you want to be a good Jew. That was how it worked. They were the terms and their conditions. But here's the thing. Jesus had changed all that. He had changed it. It was like Jesus said, I am now, this is the old contract, but I am now upgrading the contract. You get a new contract. And so every time you've got your, your phone upgraded, they make you sign a new load of T's and C's. And normally you don't even read what they are, you know? It's just like, oh yeah, okay, new T's and C's. Yes, I agree, and you sign that, because you just want that phone in your hand. Um, and what Jesus had done is he had changed the contract. When he died on the cross, when he gave us uh, life and salvation and forgiveness, when he did that stuff, it totally changed the contract that the Jews had been living by. Because it used to be you had to 
do these sacrifices. You had to have blood spilled on this day. You had to do this. All that changed. When Jesus died, he changed the contract. He upgraded the contract. He said, you've been working to this pretty old, outdated contract. It's not really working very well for you. And so Jesus comes and he gives this brand new contract. And Peter was living with this brand new contract. It was like he had the new phone in his hand, but he was, he'd forgotten that actually now there are new T's and C's. Because with the new contract, there is this new load of conditions. And so what it meant was the old T's and C's don't matter anymore. They're not, they're not, they're not the same anymore. And this was the lesson that Peter needed to learn. He needed to learn that because he was part of something that God had upgraded, because he had accepted Jesus, because he wasn't going to the temple making sacrifices anymore, he didn't need to because he knew that Jesus had given him forgiveness. God was saying, okay, well, if you've got the new phone, then you need to start living by the new T's and C's. Does that make sense? And so these new terms and conditions meant that actually God wanted Peter to maybe do some stuff that was going to be culturally rebellious. He was going to do something that people who were still living by the old T's and C's were going to have a problem with. And so he uses, God uses this example of this sheep coming out of the ground. So the sheep comes out of the ground and God says to Peter, go and eat. And Peter's like going, surely not, Lord. And he probably thinks, oh yeah, I'm going to score some holy points here. You know, God's going to be, well done, you passed the test, you didn't eat the skanky food. But actually, God doesn't say that. What God says is, no, 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 no. New T's and C's, new contract. What he says is, don't call something impure that I have made pure. And so what he's starting to do is starting to help Peter understand that there is this new contract with new T's and C's. And it's probably taking a while for it to sink in because it says this happens three times. The same vision, three times. It's like, McFly. It's kind of like, come on, Peter. This is something I really need you to grab hold of and understand. And so what Peter has to do is he has to, because of this vision, he has to kind of step over. He has to do this thing where he's saying, okay, I've been brought up not to do this. I've been brought up to think and believe something very different to this. My whole society tells me to live differently to this, but... God is asking me to do this. In other words, the the lesson that Peter has to learn is that God rules. He rules. And that's even more important than the rules. Because for Peter, he thought, I'm keeping the rules, I'm keeping the rules, I'm staying on this side of the line, everything's right, I'm doing everything right. And God's going, no, 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 no. I'm the one who rules. I rule. And that's actually even more important keeping rules, especially if those rules that you're keeping have been actually shaped not by me particularly, but by culture or by your upbringing. And so you're keeping the rules, the ideas, the, the kind of ways of living that your society thinks is right or your upbringing thinks is right, but I'm asking you to do something rebellious and break those rules and actually start to maybe let me rule in your life. So this is what happens. And then Peter's wondering about what this might mean. And then there's a knock on the door. And what he hears then is God say this to him. He says, there's some people waiting for you. I want you to go and do not hesitate to go with them. That's what he says. 
Now, that kind of sounds a bit mysterious. Like, here, yeah, there's some people at the door. I want you to go with them. He doesn't tell them who they are. He doesn't tell them where he's going to be going. It's just like, there's some people. Go. And so he goes downstairs, and there are these guys who say, hi, we're looking for Peter. Peter's like, yep, that's me. And then Peter finds out who they are. Or more importantly, who they've been sent by. Who they've been sent by is this Roman centurion called Jesus. And they say, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's a Roman centurion. But he is, you know, the Jews do like him. They, you know, they're trying to kind of go, I know this is a bit awkward because he's a Roman and you're not, you probably won't like him. But, you know, Jews like him. That's, so they're trying to pave the way a little bit, right, for this Cornelius guy. But what they're saying is, he wants you to come to his house. Now that's a massive thing, because it just wasn't what you did. Going to somebody's house who's not a Jew is definitely on this side of the line, without question. And there is probably no way on earth Peter would have even thought about doing that if he hadn't just had this kind of time where God has spoken to him that didn't make loads of sense. But now it's like, oh, okay, that's why you were telling me that. Right, okay, I'd better go. And so we read that he goes. But one of the things I love about this is that actually this moment where Peter decides to take this slightly crazy vision that he's had and put it into action wouldn't have been an easy thing for him. It wouldn't have been easy in the sense that it would have meant culturally I'm breaking the rules. Society isn't going to approve of this. Actually, my friends and family are going to not like me doing this. They're probably going to give me some serious stick because of this. They might even disown me because of this. So it was a brave decision. We talked about courage last time. It was a brave decision for him to step over the line and start to go to a Gentile's house. But it wasn't just a Gentile. This was a Roman centurion. The Romans, only weeks before, had smashed his best friend to a cross. They'd flogged him to pieces. They had ripped his body. And they had punched him and kicked him. And then they had laughed as he had died. That's who the Romans were. And the centurions were the ones watching it all. They were the guys in charge. So this was actually not just a cultural kind of challenge for Peter. It was definitely a cultural challenge. But this would have been a really personal challenge. This is like, okay, so you're asking me go and spend time with like the people, the person, the centurion. You know, these are the people that actually, I'm still hurting because of that. I was, I'm still in pain because of that. And you want me to go and face that. That's why I really am impressed by this moment. But here's the thing, if Peter hadn't done it, then the gospel of Jesus would have stayed a Jewish sect. It would have stayed something that just Jewish people believed that they found their Messiah and this guy was called Jesus and they'd carry on being kind of Christian Jews, which you have, Masonic Jews, they still exist now. But people like us, non-Jews, we never would have got a look in. We never would know anything about Jesus. We never would be able to get saved, get forgiven, know Jesus, live lives where his healing in his life is, is in the centre of our lives. That never would have happened if Peter hadn't have crossed the line. Because the only way it was going to is if a Jew who knew the good news went and spoke to a non-Jew about it. 
That was the only way that was going to be possible. And after Peter sets that example, Paul then comes and does a lot more of it later. But Peter is the first to do it. He is the first to say, actually, maybe this isn't just for the Jews. Maybe this is for other people. People that we've written off. People that we thought, no, they don't get to be part of this. Maybe actually they do get to be part of this. Without question, for all sorts of reasons, Cornelius was somebody that most Jews would have written off. Even the Jews that loved and listened to Jesus. It took God speaking to Peter for that to change. So, what does that mean for us? A couple of quick thoughts for us as we kind of try and think out, okay, how do we work this into our lives? First thing, let's go back to the beginning of the story. Um, Like I said, this only happened because Peter heard God in the first place. And he only heard God because he positioned himself in a place where he could hear God. He made a space for God to speak to him. Now that was a physical space, the roof of uh, somebody's house, Simon the Tanner, who sounds like, you know, he should be like in Essex. Um, but actually, it, it was, sorry. Um, but uh, he made not only a physical space, somewhere to go, but he actually carved out time as well. He made time in his day to listen to God. And that's just really important for us to realise that, that actually if we want to hear God, we've got to kind of make a space for God. Whether that's a physical chair that we sit on, whether that's a room that we use, whether that's a time of day, we've got to position ourselves. We've got to kind of turn up. We've got to be like, okay, I'm here, God. And I don't know what you want to say, but I'm here. And so I'm going to try and listen to you. And the way that we hear God is numerous. There are loads of different ways that we can hear God. And we're going to, after the summer, spend a lot more time. We're going to do a little bit of a a season of talking about how we can talk to God, how we can pray, uh, but also how we can listen to God. But some real quick things to say at this point. When we read the Bible, we can listen to God. That God speaks to us through the Bible. Other Christians are often aware that God speaks to us. That also, sometimes we just get that kind of like holy hunch where we think, oh, maybe God's saying something. I'm not sure I'm thinking about this. It feels like it might be God. That can be God too. It's not normally a big vision. That's the point. It's not normally something coming out of the sky and a voice saying, get up and eat. That's very rare. Most of the time, it's when we're reading the Bible and something jumps out and we go, oh, why is that sentence or that word seeming to be more important? Sometimes it is when someone comes and says, Feel God has been saying that, or I have a picture for you, or something. All these things happen today. Um, sometimes it is just something we feel when we're walking along, or when we're sitting quietly, or when, when we're just kind of praying. We just think, oh, I wonder if this is this thought that I've got. Phone that person, do this thing. I wonder if that's God speaking. Here's the thing if it's something you think Jesus would do, if it means, if it's something where you feel God is saying, to do something and it means loving him or loving others, then I would give it a go. Because to be honest, even if it is just you thinking it rather than God speaking to you, you've probably got nothing to lose. If it's something Jesus would do and you're loving God and you're loving others, let's just do it. Um, but, you know, if it starts being like, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure if that's something Jesus would be in, into, then probably it's not you know, and so we will talk more about that. But what I wanted to point out today is Jesus does speak to us if we put ourselves in a place where we're willing to listen. 
And uh, that's what we see Peter doing. The other thing then that we see is this, that um, God does speak to him. God speaks to Peter, but it doesn't always make a load of sense. It's not always like something where you go, all right, okay, so that's what I do then, is it? But often when God speaks to us, it might be something that is really challenging for us because it's something that we are actually, it goes against what we've maybe been told by our family, by our society, by our upbringing, that it get just like it was Peter. So I think more often than not, the times when I've heard God really clearly on things, it's stuff that I'm like, oh, surely not. You know, it's just like Peter, surely not God, you know, when he says that to him. I totally resonate with that. If I'm saying, surely not God, then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this is God. I need to pay a bit more attention. But here's the other really important thing, I think, is that because God says it a couple of times, and he says it three times, and he see, or he sees the vision three times, I think that's really significant. I'd ask us this question. What are the things that you've had a feeling God might be saying that actually maybe you've been ignoring because it kind of is a bit of a challenge to you because it goes against what you would naturally or, or kind of comfortably do. It's a comfort zone thing. But you've heard it more than once. It's like, oh, actually, this is starting... There's a bit of a repeat here. God said this to me more than once now. Um, I think that's often a really good test if that God is speaking to us. And then there's, I think, another question I just want to ask you as I finish is, what is stopping you from obeying? What is, what is stopping you from obeying? Because the word obey is really interesting. The, the word obey actually literally means, if you kind of look at the root of the word, it literally means to listen and pay attention. And so actually, one, when we say we're listening to God, we're actually not properly listening until we start obeying. That's what that suggests. Actually, to obey is to listen. And if you think about, you know, when you've got kids and you tell them something and they don't obey, you're like, you haven't listened to me. You might, they might have listened, but until they actually do the thing you've asked them to do, put the dishes away or bring the cup down or do whatever, then, then actually, have you listened? No, you probably haven't listened. That obeying is really connected into listening. Um, and, and actually, therefore, if we're not obeying, why is that? Is it because actually, like Peter, there might be a personal thing there. It might be personally quite difficult for us to obey. It's something we're like going, oh, oh but it's a centurion, you know? And so actually sometimes the reason we don't obey is because it's personally painful. Sometimes the reason we don't obey is because we feel like, we're going to get a hard time for it. You know, Peter did not know whether he would be kicked out of the church for what he was about to do. The rest of the leaders could have just got together and gone, Peter, you go in haywire. What's wrong with you? You're a heretic. They could have said that. And, you know, he didn't know at that point. When he decided to go with them, he didn't know how it was going to turn out. It turns out that the Holy Spirit turns out. It turns out that people get saved. And even then he had to still convince everybody at Jerusalem that it was a God thing. But when he actually decided to go to the house, he didn't know. He had to just do it anyway. He had to just obey. 
And so what is stopping us from obeying is a really important question for us to ask ourselves. Final thing I want us to ask ourselves, and then we're going to pray, is who have we written off? Without question, Cornelius and his family and his household, they were Gentiles, they were Romans, so they were like the wrong race, the wrong religion, and they were the enemy, really. They were people who traditionally had shown nothing but hate for Jesus and his people. And yet, they were the people that God wanted Peter to go and talk to. And so, you wouldn't have blamed anyone for just saying, well, they're not interested. To write them off would make a lot of sense, but it wasn't what God was saying. What God was saying is, my will is that you go to talk to these people. So my question is, who do we write off? Who have you specifically written off when it comes to Jesus? Who are the people in your life, in your street, in society as a whole, as you think about society and maybe people groups within society? Who have you written off? Because maybe God hasn't. In fact, I would say he definitely hasn't. And so even as we think about the summer, and is there someone I could invite to one of these summer activities? Let's put ourselves in a position, like Peter, where we're praying and we're asking God. Let's be prepared for God to ask us to maybe do something that might be personally a little bit scary for us, or culturally a little bit rebellious for us, having to break some of the rules that society gives us. But actually, maybe then, going to the people that we've written off might be the thing that would change their lives. And that's certainly what happened with Cornelius. And it could be what could happen to someone on your street, someone in your family. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to finish there. So maybe just take a second now. And um, we're just going to ask God to speak. Lord, I just pray that you will remind us now of maybe some of the things that you've already been saying to us. And maybe we've been just finding it hard to understand, just as Peter did. And because uh, it just kind of goes against so much of what we, we kind of find normal or comfortable. But Lord, if you're speaking to us about something that is a challenge, that's going to mean... Maybe we've got to kind of rebel against what our family or our culture or our background has kind of led us to live up until now. Or it's just personally painful for us to do. But it's what you're asking us to do. I pray that you would just be generous and just remind us again that that's what you're saying. And then help us be people that do not hesitate to obey. Help us to be people that once we feel we've heard you, once we understand that you've said something, that we are people who act. And so, Lord, I want to ask if there is particularly any people that we've been writing off when it comes to telling them about you or them ever discovering you and loving you. Just remind us that that's not your plan or purpose for their life. That you want them. 
And they might be saying no to you, but you're not saying no to them. Lord, if there's people we've written off, we've stopped praying for, we've stopped talking to, show us who they are, Lord. Show us how we can go to them and what that might look like. So we thank you for Peter. We thank you that he had courage, that he acted in obedience, that he's willing to step over the line. Thank you for that. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people like him. And we want to follow that example. So give us courage and lead us to the people that you want us to go to. Amen. There we go. No worries.